Galatians 5. Stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have your copy of God's word. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you like clicked over to Sunday school right there? You're like, I got it. Give me the bed. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right? So now flip back into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just a few verses here in verse 4. Also be on the screen. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. If you ever wonder where we as a church get the language, King, Kingdom, Common Good, this is a key verse uh, for us. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. And to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So if you're new with us, um, we are wrapping up a a three-week series on uh, the Holy Spirit. And uh, what we typically do here at the Parks Church is we preach through books of the Bible, which I will begin a, a teaching series next week, going through First and Second Samuel. That will be our Old Testament book that we're, books that we will be going through. And I know some of you are like, okay, how long is it going to take us to go through First and Second Samuel? I don't know. Okay, like, why are you in such a hurry? Um, But we do have some resources. We have a notebook. This is something Crossway puts out. It's the publisher of the translation we use. Um, This is downstairs. We would love for everybody to have a copy of this. And so uh, it is simply the the first and second Samuel together with places for you to take notes and things like that. So we wanted you to have a resource as we begin that. Really excited about that. But this has been an instrumental series for us as a church, especially me coming out of sabbatical in, in, into this, into ba- back to teaching. And I, I even finished the 9 a.m. service, and I shared this with someone uh, downstairs. I was like, how do you, like, you don't really end a series on the Holy Spirit, right? 
Like, it is just a continuation. It's like how even the book of Acts finishes. It just finishes with like this dot, 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 okay? So you're going to be like, man, he didn't really have an ending to that sermon. That's all right, right? It's a continuation. It's a dot, dot, dot into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit in 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel in some really amazing ways. But I want to key in this morning on, on two things, two distinct things. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. You probably picked that up from, from, the, uh, from the Scripture reading. And, and typically, those two things are held at least like one sermon is given to each of them. And so I want to do something unique, and I want to hold them together. I want to put them and look at them uh, together. And uh, I'll back up to week one so that so we have some clarity, right, around Jesus' teaching of the Holy Spirit. Jesus very clearly tells his disciples in John chapter 14 that he's going away. And it throws like his disciples into this despair because their expectations have been just like dashed. Like, wait a minute. We thought like we were going to like ride into Rome with you. We thought we were going to have political overthrow. We're going to have all these expectations. We thought this and we thought that. Have you ever had your expectations dashed? Yeah. Um, Well, that happened to the disciples, but in an absolutely profound way. But Jesus makes a statement to them that is meant to be comforting and clarifying. He says, I understand your despair, and I'm not diminishing it. I understand your pain, and I'm not diminishing it. But I want you to hear that I am leaving you another helper. And that is capital H, helper, in John chapter 14. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, in the English language, helper is like a weak word, super weak word. But in the original language, the language that Jesus would have spoke, it's this word of advocate, I'm leaving you, not just like someone to come alongside you, but I'm literally leaving you God. And Jesus would go as far to say the spirit of Christ. It's going to be like, I am still with you in every form, in every fashion. And in fact, in even a deeper way where Jesus in John chapter 16 would go, it's better, it's to your advantage. It's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and reside in you, right? And so this spirit of, of, of comfort, a spirit that comes alongside us and convicts us, the Holy Spirit that challenges us, the Holy Spirit that argues with us. Have you ever had like the Holy Spirit argue with you? I have, right? I'm going this direction, right? And it's arguing like, I, I want to justify why I'm going in this direction. Let me tell you, anytime you get an argument with the Holy Spirit, you're going to lose, all right? You're fallible, he's infallible, he's God, all right? But God gives us this gift of himself, And the Holy Spirit's primary goal, as we talked about in in week one, which is found in John chapter 16, is that the Holy Spirit's primary goal is to make Jesus known. It's to take the things of Christ, the person and work of Jesus, and make him known. What J.I. Packer says is a floodlight ministry, right? We're here in this big auditorium, and oftentimes they'll have a a spotlight or a floodlight to to throw up here on stage. and, And it's the Holy Spirit working that. And it is lasered in on one person at all times, always. And that is who? Jesus, right? You never see, right, a good spotlight person flip the spotlight around and be like, hey, here, I'm here, whoa, you know? What do they do? A good spotlight keeps it on the scene, keeps it on the person that they're meant to be. And that is always Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. My prayer is that's what the Holy Spirit does this morning. Keeps the spotlight fixed upon Jesus. And then last week, um, I made some of you really uncomfortable in talking about what does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? God, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, who Jesus says, I'm leaving you the helper. What does an experience with the Holy Spirit look like? How do we experience him? And we turn to uh, Romans 8. 
And we talked about even the spiritual disciplines as how. And, and, and it struck me this week that the spiritual disciplines are oftentimes also called these habits of grace. These habits of grace that are true in individuals' lives where we posture ourselves and open ourselves up to the movement and experience of the Holy Spirit. When I use the, the word picture of, of just putting ourselves under this bucket of God's love that we long for him just to pour out upon us again and again and again. Um, and I know some of you are uncomfortable with the language of God pouring out his love. And maybe even some of the songs that we sing where the language is like that. Um, but we use that language. I use that language because it's biblical. And you say, Kyle, well, you just say, but where, where is it? Great question. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 5. Look at this. It says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the what? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the love of God, so to experience the Holy Spirit is to delight and understand in a growing measure the love of God being poured out upon you in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And how is that love demonstrated? Jesus, right? He is the epitome of the love of God toward us. And so his love pouring out. And I think like what Sam was saying there with like the, the water fountain is how many, how, how many of you view God's love? It's just like this little bitty stream. No, no, no. The idea here in Romans 5, 5 is just dumped. It's a poor, it's like a lavished kind of love that is overwhelming and all encompassing. All right. And so where I want to go uh, today is, is to take this conversation uh, one step further. That we as believers, we can have an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit that is promised to us in places like Ephesians 5 verse 18, where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we can choose like other places, First uh, Thessalonians being one, where we can quench the Spirit. Both of those messages that Paul writes in, in, in Ephesians and, and then in First Thessalonians are are to believers, people who have the Holy Spirit, right? If you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit, so you can't quench the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is a message to believers about being full of the Holy Spirit. One of the discussions I hear often around, um, especially when we talk about experiencing the Holy Spirit or this topic of gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, you say, hey, that, that, that's great and all. I see it there. I'm just not really an emotional person. I, I'm not an emotional person. Well, I'm not an emotional person um, unless it's the Dallas Cowboys and they score, or it's that bonus check that I got, or unless it's that, you know, goal I score, or my kid scores, you know, then it's like all of a sudden. Or, or my favorite is, I'm just really cerebral. I'm really just intellectual. Now, I, I, no doubt that you are, and you're super smart. Um, but I'm kind of leaning on Paul here, right? Like, you know, intellectualism, he's got it, right? He is talking about an experience with the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes when you think of people who want to talk about an, an, an experience with the Holy Spirit, you don't think of the Puritans. At least I don't, right? But honestly, when we look at the Puritans, the Puritans wrote a lot about experiencing the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, they were intellectual. They were cerebral. And, and one, a quote here I'm going to use here is from John Flavel, and this is going to set us up as we get into the fruit of the Spirit. He says this. He says, ecstasy and delight are essential. Those are emotions, by the way. Are essential to the believer's soul, and they promote sanctification. 
We were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. And the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not, as he ought, from the Spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the hearts with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other loves. Because the Lord has made himself accessible to us in the means of grace, it is our duty and privilege to seek this experience from him in these means till we are made the joyful partakers of it. That's John Flavel, written sometime in the 17th century. Experience. Um, I don't want my life or the life of this church to be, as John puts it, going in silent search of other lovers because we've lost the awe and wonder and experience of the saving grace of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. But ultimately, where we go by nature is to those places and spaces that were listed, some of them were listed in Galatians 5. The places of the flesh, But what the Spirit is trying to do and where He is trying to lead us this morning is to that stream, the stream of living water, that that, that green pasture that we might lie down in and find rest and find comfort and joy. He's trying to lead us to the place of Jesus. This, in fact, is what Jesus himself says. This is John chapter 7. And I I love that that Sam was talking about the waters and, and, and the rushing. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, those who believe in me will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. This is John chapter 7, 38 and 39. And he said, he said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. How do we have the living water, not just in us and going, oh, that tastes good, but literally like Jesus said, flowing from him in in the, the streams of living water. That's like so... Really, the original language, and I know you don't care about the Greek, but it's important because you get this picture. It is this idea of torrents of water. Do you know what a torrent is? That's not a trickle like a little North Texas stream, right? This is like a rushing, miting water. Have you ever been around water like that? Sam was talking about it, like, like the, the uh, Niagara Falls, or I've experienced a waterfall where you, you, as you get closer to it, like the, how loud it is based upon the rushing, like you can't hear anything else around you, right? Except for what? The rushing water, right? If you've been to Niagara before, you, you know, like people who are like, like you can't hear any of the noise, man, maybe that's a word for us, Right? Like we want to be beckoned. We want, we want to be coming to this river of living water so that the noise around us would be silenced by true living water, by Jesus, so that we hear clearly, so that we see clearly. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us. And he does that by producing the character and content of our lives. And he's going, this is the evidence of the Spirit being alive in you, Galatians 5. Now, I'm not going to unpack the verse that you all know, all right? 
But what I want to do is I want to hold the fruit of the Spirit, the whole fruit of the Spirit, in one hand and look at it and say, listen, this is what the Spirit produces in every life of every believer in growing measure. The fruit of the Spirit. There is not one believer who is absent of like, well, I'm missing patience. No, you're not. Not if the Spirit is in you. Now, you're growing in patience, but you have patience. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. You have love, right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. And and, and Paul's whole real thesis of Galatians could be summed up in one word. And he does it here in in chapter 5 as well. The word is this, freedom. Now, um, think about this. Don't answer out loud. Think about this. When you think of somebody, when you think of someone who is um, free in the spirit of God or by the spirit of God, where does that cause you? What do, what do you think about? Some of you, you come from charismatic backgrounds. You got a picture of what freedom looks like. Others of you, you come from maybe more, um, maybe, maybe it's a Presbyterian background. Um, you, you have an idea of what freedom looks like. Some of you, you're non-denominational, so you're all messed up. You're like, I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> Let's look at what the Word of God says. What does freedom look at look like? Because look at verse 13. He says, for you are called to freedom. Brothers and sisters, you are called to freedom. You are called to know freedom. You are called to experience freedom. And how does freedom come? How is it shaped in our lives? Do whatever you want. Some of you, um, you're laughing because I know who you are, come from charismatic backgrounds. You're like, that's exactly what freedom looks like in the spirit. Do whatever you want. You see, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you get to do whatever you want. And the reason is because that never actually leads to joy in life and freedom. It may lead to experiences. It may lead to behaviors or feelings that you believe will give you joy and life and freedom, identity, satisfaction. But Paul tells us clearly in Galatians 5, they never actually do. And he holds the flesh. He says, you want to know what the result of the flesh is? The result of the flesh is this, that it uses things and ultimately destroys them. It uses people and destroys them. And that's what happens when you and I believe the lies of the enemy. It uses us and destroys us. That's the power of the flesh. And then on the other hand, he holds the Holy Spirit. He holds the life submitted to the Spirit. He says, here's what the Spirit produces. Did you pick that up? Love. It produces love and it always brings life. Don't believe me? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do you see the contrast there? Don't use your freedom to feed your flesh. Use your freedom to do what? Love others. There it is. You want to know what a life marked by the Spirit looks like? It looks like love and service laid down for others that actually brings life. Now, we swim in a culture, in a world that wants us to experience freedom and is selling it all the time. To experience life, full life. And it sells you this by saying, what you need is more self-confidence. What you need is to be more sure of yourself. Or an ever-growing trend is this, that what you need is just to express yourself however you want in whatever way makes you feel good. And could be summed up by this phrase, you do you, bro, Right? You heard that one before. Side note, the, mature, the more mature I get in Christ, the more I feel the Spirit sanctifying my life, the, the, like 
the less sure I am of me. That's a sign of, of, of spirit maturity. However, back to, to the cultural waters we swim in, the problem with those, the problem with that idea is one that it's opposite of Jesus' teaching in the word of God, right? Okay. But just intellectually, right? You want to get intellectual for a minute? Where is all the pressure placed in that belief? You do you. That's putting it on you. You figure out you. You figure out what's best. You, you work up more self-confidence. You work up more self-motivation. The word of God, it beautifully steps in and says, listen, we're not teaching some technique on how you master your pain or issues. The word of God is drawing us, wooing us, if you will, into a story about God and his glory and his great love toward his people. And so this morning, which it's always, every morning we open the word of God, right? It is again an invitation to the freedom that is only found through Christ in the Holy Spirit. Freedom to live as a church, individually and corporately, as these new redeemed people full of that Holy Spirit. God does not just make us promises. He in turn makes us promises and says, listen, I'm going to personally wear the weight of that promise by giving you my presence. That's how this is fulfilled. And so Paul's point here in Galatians, that this life in the spirit, it brings a whole new way of thinking and living with new desires and new powers to please God, evidenced by the fruit of the spirit. However, we don't look at that list of the fruit of the spirit and go, okay, here's where I'm doing good. Here's where I'm doing bad. This is where I can kind of muster it up. This is how I need to do better. I need to bring a little bit more patience in my life, which is definitely true for me. The point of the list of the fruit of the spirit is for us to look at them and for us to run, right? Run to the throne for us to run before God, right? The, the streams of living water to go, listen, I am a failure, right? If left to my own devices to try to muster up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I am a wreck, but it's when I run to him, he then begins to produce it and all the weight's on him, right? He's going, no, listen, I'm the one who produces the fruit of the spirit in you. That list flows. And when it flows from our lives, there's freedom. There's like true freedom. And for some of you, what you need to hear this morning is that the Lord, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, wants to free you from your striving. Even striving after morality. Striving after lists. He's going, no, I want you to strive after me. And when you strive after me, when you find your place before me, oh, you watch what I produce. Love, like you can't imagine. Joy, you have no idea. Peace. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Really, it's about John 15. The whole chapter of John 15 that sits between 14 and 16, obviously, is abide. Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit in 14. Jesus teaching his Holy Spirit in 16. What's he put right in the middle? Abide in me. Abide, abide. And that freedom will in turn produce true life. It'll produce freedom from sin. Listen, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can truly battle sin. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can stay in step, right? And listen, that battle over your soul and your flesh is intense. And if it's on you to win that war, you'll lose every time. Now, let me hold this with spiritual gifts. And I want to quote Tim Keller. Um, he was teaching on uh, fruit of the Spirit, and this is something he said that struck me. He said, we tend to see the spiritual gifts as the sign of the Spirit's work in someone. 
but the Bible never does. Judas and King Saul were used by the Spirit to prophesy, do miracles, and so on. But they did not have Spirit-renewed hearts. To be truly led by the Spirit is to grow the fruit of the Spirit. Did you get that? That's what I wanted you to get from Galatians 5. Gifts may or may not operate out of a grace-changed heart, but the fruit growth of the Spirit can only happen in a child of God. The only test that the Spirit has really indwelled you as a child of God is the growth in the fruit of the Spirit. So let me say this as I hold these two together. The gifts of the Spirit that we're about to talk about are kept in check by the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are held in check by the fruit of the Spirit. So we have a foundational teaching, a foundation that must be set there and being set there in our lives, known as the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is not actively producing fruit, let me say this as kindly as I can, I don't care what spiritual gifts are on display in your life or in this corporate body. You say, Kyle, that's harsh. I brought friends. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's Paul. And I'm going to talk about the Corinthian church and how Paul talks to that church. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, um, that's not just a wedding chapter. Um, He says, without love, without love, all your spiritual gifts, all the things you want to say, look at this, look at this. He says, you're like a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. You know what that's good for? Nothing but annoyance. That's Paul, okay? Like you read it, you, you interpret it yourself. So what are spiritual gifts biblically? What are they? Um, some of you, when you think of spiritual gifts, you think of about five or six sign gifts. There are about 22 gifts biblically laid out. And so I want you, I'll put this list up. Um, take some time, maybe look at that. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 12, you can leave it up there just for a second. 1 Corinthians 12 that we read in the scripture, while I said about the fruit of the Spirit, um, that is for every believer in growing measure all the time. Spiritual gifts, however, are uniquely and distinctly given to different people at different times in different ways by the same Spirit, okay? So not every believer will have every gift, And I think that is intentional, right? That there is meant to be a diversity within the body of Christ. And the reason there is meant to be a gift diversity within the body of Christ and these gifts operating is because that diversity creates an interdependence upon one another. Because there's not one person who has all the gifts or there's not one like body who has all the gifts in, in this one small faction. No, it's we need each other because the Spirit has a way of dispersing His gifts as He sees fit, to whom He sees fit, when He sees fit. How's that? That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me tell you, um, we theologically, as the Parks Church, we believe that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are alive and active in the church and available to all believers. This sermon is not meant to convince you of that. You say, well, I look at that list, and I think it's about 19 of that number, you know? And I'm like, hey, that's open-handed. We can talk about that. Uh, That's fine, but I want you to know our position. We believe all of those gifts are active, alive, and available. And I will give this. There is mystery, okay? There is mystery in the scriptures around spiritual gifts. And I think that's very intentional by the Lord. Because if, if, if it were just so clear-cut and so stated like this, you know what we do? The Lord knows us. We'd become legalistic about it. 
We become dogmatic about it and be like, all of y'all, you need to do this and each one of you should be doing this and this is how you operate. And so I think there's this mystery. There is this open-handedness to go, Lord, we want to be before your presence and operate faithfully however you see fit. However you so, so want to gift us individually and corporately, we want to be before you so we know and sense that. However, with the mystery, there is still a deep level of clarity of why the gifts exist. And so I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to change books here, but 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12 says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and all of those, listen to me, all of those are manifestations of the Spirit, by the way, okay? Strive to excel in building up the church. There you go. Purpose, reason for these gifts so that the church might be built up. Spiritual gifts and manifestation of these gifts are only as good in as much as they display and glorify Jesus and draw others into the love of the Father. You hear me? That is the point. They create a delight and joy edifying the church, edifying Christ. Kyle, why? There, there are some places, though, that talk about edifying the individual, and, and, and that is right, that's true, that's more rare but it's so that that individual might edify the whole. Why build up the church? Why would it be that these gifts are meant to build up the church? Ephesians 3.10, right? Yes, yeah, a great question. Ephesians 3.10, here's what it says. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be put on display to a watching world. That's Ephesians 3.10. So these spiritual gifts are meant to see the church grow in beauty and glory. However, let's be honest. The church, and we are guilty of this as well, the church is oftentimes displaying a disordered and distorted view of who God is. Fair? We do that individually and we do that corporately. And so a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit brings us back into this life that is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that longs to operate in the edification of the body, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I really struggled and knowing how to like land or give us tangible ways to practice this, right? Like, what is that? And I even talked to Tessa about this. Like, I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling Thursday. And so I just began to pray and ask the Lord. And he took me like to a 30,000 foot view of the Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And how Paul was instructing a church that was very eager, very eager to, to walk in these spiritual gifts and, and to have them manifest. Very eager for, for the body to be built up and be made more beautiful. Very eager for that. Now, there was a, some other stuff going on, and he addressed it, right? Sin, he would call out, he'd say, stop this. But one of the things, even in all the confusion and chaos that was sometimes happening around the spiritual gifts, Paul never looked at them and said, stop. Cut that. Like, you guys are, he, he never dealt with them in harsh correction, okay? He would lovingly say, come here. I love your faith. I love what's going on here. And I want to rightly put some parameters around this so that you can walk faithfully so that the church is made more beautiful and Jesus is clearly seen. And so that's all I want to do to end. How do we, how would we, hypothetically, if we're open to the Spirit's full movement and in the fullness of, of the Holy Spirit, how would we walk in that kind of way? People full of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, what would this look like? First, Paul communicates to Corinth, I want you to seek earnestly. Now, we are not praying for experiences. We're not even praying for gifts. 
What we are seeking earnestly is that we desire for the Spirit to move and work in our lives and in this church. We're seeking the Lord in his fullness with our whole hearts and what he has for us. That is, that's where I started last week and that's where I want to end this week. We must seek this. We must have an openness to receive, a receptivity, if you will. The second thing Paul, Paul does as he walks with the Corinthians is that, 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 that there is this experience that happens as the spirit begins to move in people's lives and in these churches that is very sensitive. It's sensitive. And if I had to maybe diagnose some of our hearts in this room, and my heart has been here before as well, we're hard. We're hardened. We're hardened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're hardened to his urging and his, his leading in our lives for whatever reason. Maybe it's historical. Maybe it's, hey, I grew up in this kind of church and I saw these things go off the rails. Hey, I grew up in this kind of church and I saw it the other direction. But I'm asking that the Lord would give us as the Parks Church a sensitivity to experience the Holy Spirit Maybe for some of you, for the first time around this topic. The second thing, uh, or excuse me, the third thing, is that as that occurs, as we see the Holy Spirit move in us individually and corporately, that we would submit those gifts, all of them. Not just the sign gifts, not the ones that just everybody talks about, like the prophecy and the tongues. This applies to that as well. But that we would submit them communally. This is the power and beauty of being part of a local community of faith. That we're able to work out these things with fear and trembling with the safety net of our community. With other brothers and sisters in Christ that may affirm, that may um, say, hey, that, that was, that, 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 I've never experienced that. Let's, let's pray about that. Let's, let's, look, let's look at that. Let's look into the scriptures, which we'll talk here in a second. Have you ever had anybody affirm something in you? Maybe it's one of those spiritual gifts that you hadn't identified. Anybody ever say something to you about that? I, I hope so, because that's one of the greatest joys here in, in the faith family. And anybody, anybody, anytime anyone says something to me like, hey, how do I know where I'm gifted, Kyle? Um, my first question is this, what have others affirmed around you? It's not what do you think, right? Not what does your spiritual gifts assessment say, but what has been affirmed in others around you in your church? People who know you. Spiritual gifts assessment. Uh, I didn't say this in the 9 a.m. I feel like I need to say it here. Um, we use them here, okay? We're not against them. But I would say in my, my experience with spiritual gifts, let's say your top five that land on the spiritual gifts assessment. You're like, okay, I need to operate in those, which may or may not be true. But what I've noticed lately is the Lord taking me to my bottom five and going, I want to do that in you. I desire to form in you a deeper prayer life, like around intercession. The top five, honestly, are just kind of my wiring. They're how I answer the questions. I fill it in. But then when I begin to look at the bottom five, I'm like, yeah, that is totally foreign to me. So when the spirit's like, oh, here you go. I'm like, this ain't me. This is you, right? And what happens? Number four, we're called to cultivate those things humbly. Like to practice them to walk in them with humility, to grow in the operation of spiritual gifts within our faith family so that this church may be built up beautifully. That's the heart. And then the last one here um, before we take communion is this. And Paul always tethers it back to this, that we will always operate biblically. Always. And for some of you around spiritual gifts, this is where the hurt and the pain has come. 
it was not tied back to the scriptures. Freedom looked like just spiritual chaos and confusion and wildfire. That's not what the Bible paints. The Bible, while mysterious in some ways, is very clear. The order, the structure, the Holy Spirit. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of what? Order. Right places and right moments and right ways, right? The Holy Spirit must align in his operation with the scriptures or else he's contradicting himself. The same is true for the spiritual gifts. And one of our duties as leaders and elders and shepherds is to protect and, and lead and kind of put up some signs, right? Slippery when wet signs here and say, hey, listen, this is, there are elements about this that maybe we're good and right and stepped out in faith, but there are others where we just need to, we need to look at the scriptures and go, this is, this is what, this is what belongs here. This is what takes place here. Most of the gifts, however, um, in your life and in my life will operate outside of this gathering. You need to know that. We're together maybe for, you know, I've been pushing that 75 minute mark, but more like 90, all right? And so the gifts that the Holy Spirit is calling you and drawing in you and wants to use in you to build up the church is most likely going to happen in those other 167 hours that you have this week. I had said 320 in the first service. That was because you skipped church. Um, But they happen outside of here. They happen in the workplaces and spaces in your praxis groups, in the time where you're having coffee. They happen in those spaces where the Lord wants to fan the flame of his spirit in your life for the building up of his church. And so I just want to leave us um, with these thoughts, with this heart. Do we really long for the spirit to move among us? Man, I I know a lot of you, and I know you do. Kyle, how's that going to look? I don't know. I don't know. This sermon series wasn't meant, it didn't have a preconceived idea. We don't manufacture those things. What we do is we faithfully and humbly come before the Lord and go, we want the fullness of what you have for us. We want all of you, all of you, all of you. We want want the whole fruit of the Spirit alive and vibrant in whatever gifts, whenever you give them. And that's our posture. That's why I said it's just dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And we're going to take communion together. And so hosts, get ready. And then we're going to dismiss. So come on up, hosts. Let me pray for us uh, as we prepare to receive communion. Father, um, our desire is to not delight (laughs) in the things of our flesh in this world that so easily catch our attention, but we want to delight fully and wholly in you. And so I pray that you would take our time and space, these these completely insufficient words that I have spoken, and bring clarity to the things that are unclear. And what I'd ask, Holy Spirit, is that you speak to our hearts as the Parks Church and give us the faith to respond to Jesus, Holy Spirit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.